Well, give Jesus one more big hand today. Come on, he's worthy of all of our praise today. Praise the Lord. Well, God is awesome. Give your neighbor a high five. Tell him you're awesome too, and you may be seated. Turn your Bibles this morning. Genesis, Genesis chapter 2. It's great to be with you this morning. My wife and I got to celebrate our son's graduation last weekend. We were in Fayetteville, and uh, he got an MBA. Real, real proud dad, obviously. But uh, I mean, you know when your kids do good, you're always proud of them. Kind of made me feel a little old, too, as things were changing in life. But I had a, a really good thing happen in terms of feeling a little bit older. Uh, we went to lunch first time after his graduation, and my son actually buy, paid for his own meal. So now I want to tell you, that is, that is, you know, that's where it's happening when you, when you watch your kids. But then I had something that was not too good. Uh, Rebecca was with us, of course, and she's 12. And uh, we went to the park, and he's got a dog and, you know, chasing a ball and stuff. And he said, okay, I'm going to throw it one more time. We're going to go. So he throws it way out to the fence, and the dog went about halfway and said, forget that. You, you go get it. So I had this brainy idea, okay? I said, Rebecca, how about you go get it, and I'll race you to get the ball. I hadn't done sprints. It's quite a number of years, and she beat me. But worse than her just beating me, I pulled a muscle on the way there. So I got to thinking, well, I guess I'm not what, what I used to be. But turn to your neighbor and say, you're not either. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. What do you think about the Bible? All right, big question now. I know you love it and all, but is it the Word of God? Is it authoritative? Is it truth that's unchanging for the days, the generations, the genders, the cultures? Is it truth that transcends political parties? Is it truth that transcends what you learn in school? Is it truth that transcends what you hear on television, what commentators say? Is it God's Word that's relevant to all of us? that we one day must give an account to. Does God, is God the one that gets to make the rules of life? Does God get to set the boundaries, or do we, are we able to determine these on our own? That's kind of the big picture that I'm going with today, is I'm going to provoke you to ask that question as we talk about a hot topic in today's culture, and I'll tell you what it is in just a minute. But why don't you turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, I've entitled the morning's message, Who Makes the Rules? Who makes the rules? Genesis 2, verse 17. Genesis, of course, a book of beginnings. It is the book of answers. When you go to find out God's thought about life, what, what's important to God, how, how, how we should function, the history of the world, the history of man, you go to Genesis. In the book of Genesis 2, verse 7, The Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So here we go in this verse, we're talking about creation, how man got here. We didn't get here from some evolutionary process. We're not, we're not a product of, of some primal ooze that, and by the way, nobody ever told me where the primal ooze came from. They just start with the ooze, you understand what I'm saying, or some molecule or some big bang or something. Step, if you want to believe in monkeys, keep going farther back. And what's your answer going to be, friend? I think I'd rather believe in God when I look at the enormity, come on, of space, when I look at the intricacies of the human body and DNA and, and how the brain functions and all these things. Come on. It just makes, it takes more faith to believe that that all came from nothing, come on, than there was a deliberate hand of creation behind it. Well, here's how we got here. But notice verse 17 or 15. The Lord God put Adam in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So now we see man basically is told to work, that life is not about sitting in front of the television. Life is more than the next vacation, but there's a deliberateness to our lives. There's a purpose for it. 
And this garden was to be kept. It was to be maintained. It talks about being responsible. It talks about growing into some sense of maturity. But we're going to leap beyond this. Now, verse 16, the first commandment. And when I use the word commandment, I'm talking about a boundary that God has the authority to give. How many know there's some things that are just out of my control as a human being? See, I'm going to preach shorter if you'll say amen a little louder, if you'll you know, talk a little bit. There's some things that are just out of my control, some things I can't do, and these boundaries that are set up in life. For example, one day you and I are going to die. We live like it's going to happen to everybody but me, but there's a boundary of my last day and of my last breath on this earth, and I don't care how smart you are, how much money you have, how good your doctor is, or, or how many times you go to the health food store, or what regimen of vitamins you're taking. At some point, there's a boundary you can't cross. And life is about boundaries, and the question is, who gets to make these boundaries? Verse 17, the tree of the knowledge, or God said, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, and say this with me, for in the day of eat it, you eat it, you shall. So God gave the command, God was very clear. Now, how many know that these boundaries, God has the authority to set the rules that govern life? Let me say that again. God has the authority to set the rules that govern life. Go ahead and put that on the screen for me. But guess what? We get to choose whether we're going to follow these or not. Would you, would you agree with me on that? Because that's kind of the foundation of the message. God has the authority to set the rules, the boundaries. I get to determine whether I follow them or not. And how many know choices have consequences? Uh, in the Bible, if you make the right choice, if you agree with God, God blesses you. But if you make the wrong choice, just like Adam and Eve did, guess what? There's going to be consequences as well. And how many know all the pain, heartache, and sadness in the world today can be traced back to Adam and Eve's wrong choice? So with that foundation, I want to talk about a hot topic in America today that everybody's talking about. I want to talk about same-sex marriage. But I'm not just going to talk about same-sex. I'm going to talk about marriage. What does God say about this institution of marriage? And then we'll have some fun. What does God say about sex? Because it's all a part of it, but it's all under this umbrella. Who gets to make the rules and who responds to them? Take a peek. We're going to visit with our president in just a minute, and uh, then we'll look into same-sex marriage. Good afternoon to all of you. I'm Diane Sawyer here at ABC News World Headquarters in New York with George Stephanopoulos because there is big breaking news from the White House. This is an historic political and cultural moment in this country and the issue, gay marriage. That's right. The White House facing a lot of questions this week in the wake of Vice President Biden saying he's comfortable with gay marriage. On Sunday, North Carolina becoming the 30th state yesterday to ban gay marriage. The president made the news in an interview with our friend and my GMA co-anchor, Robin Roberts, down at the White House. So let's go right there. Robin. George and Diane, based upon what you just said, yes, the vote last night in North Carolina, what Vice President Biden said earlier in the week and what his press secretary, uh, Jay Carney, said yesterday and that the president would speak for himself on his position. So I asked the president, does he still oppose same-sex marriage? Uh, I was sensitive to the fact that uh, for a lot of people, you know, the, the word marriage was something that evokes very powerful traditions, religious beliefs, and so forth. Um, but I have to tell you that over the course of uh, several years, as I talk to friends and family and neighbors, uh, when I think about uh, members of my own staff who are in incredibly committed monogamous relationships, same-sex relationships, who are raising kids together, uh, when I think about uh, those soldiers or airmen or marines or 
sailors who are out there fighting on my behalf uh, and yet feel constrained, even now that Don't Ask, Don't Tell is gone, because uh, they're not able to uh, commit themselves in a marriage. Uh, at a certain point, I've just concluded that um, for me personally, it is important for me to go ahead and affirm that uh, I think same-sex couples should be able to get married. Okay, he, he, he's talking about it from the White House. I want to talk about it from the church house. Fair enough? Last weekend, as we were getting ready for graduation, we turned on MSNBC, and here's this panel of, you know, four very sophisticated people, and they're talking about it. And I hadn't had it on two minutes, and they'd already called anyone who disagreed with the president a bigot. I had to leave, but I can assure you, if I'd have listened for the balance of the show, I'd have been called, uh, I'd have been called a, a homophobe. Uh, I would have been said to have hate people because they're different from me. And uh, very, very, very far from the truth. But that's what would have, been, would have been said about me because I disagree. I read yesterday that the NAACP came out in support of his position of same-sex marriage. And in America today, do you almost feel a little reluctance to talk about anything because somebody's going to call you a racist? I mean, it's almost like if you disagree with anybody, you've got to be a racist. So, lest this be a black-white thing, our president's black, the NAACP is a group of black folks. Uh, well, guess what? I found some preachers who are black as well that will speak into this issue. And the Coalition of African-American Pastors sent me an email, and I want to tell you what, it just blew my socks off. It says, we cannot and will not remain silent while marriage is undermined by our own president while using Christian language and relating it to civil rights. To link sexual behavior God calls sin to the righteous cause Martin Luther King gave his life for is abominable in and of itself. Marriage between one man and one woman was created and ordained by God. It's the only stable union in which women are protected and cared for, in which children are born, reared, and nurtured in safety, and upon which the very stability of our society rests. The hijacking of the civil rights movement by homosexuals, bisexuals, and gender-confused people must and will stop. For we have fought for what is right. They're talking about their march with Martin Luther King. They're fighting for what's wrong. Our God requires it, our nation needs it, and our people deserve it. We will stand in our pulpits, stand in the streets, stand in the chambers of policymaking, and stand at the ballot box for those who are for God's design of marriage and family. We will stand against those who are not. That's powerful. That's powerful. And I've got to say, tell you that I'm on that side. And I want to explain to you this morning from a biblical position. I'm going to read pretty much nothing but Scripture to you this morning because, again, the question we asked earlier, who gets to make the rules? In other words, has God already decided what's right and wrong in human behavior or do we get to make the choice? That's what we're taught as Americans the last couple decades is that truth is arbitrary, truth is not absolute, but every person gets to determine what's true on their own, that we can even decide if the Bible's right or not. That's scary. But that's what we're taught. I mean, no, the Bible is either God's word or it's not. Now, I would encourage you, if you have questions about whether the Bible is true and, and, and you want scientific proof, you want to be argued from, you know, from logic, from reason, from history and those kind of things, let that be your starting point. And if you have some questions, I have a couple guys stand. Joe, why don't you stand right quick? And Larry, why don't you stand right quick? If you have questions about the Bible being the Word of God, my buddies can help you out here. Dr. Lacey here? 
He, he, Dr. Lacey, why don't you go ahead and stand too? These are some fine men. And, and if you seriously, if you have a question about the Bible, can I trust what the Bible has to say? You know, does it make sense? I've been told it's not God's Word. Ask one of these guys sometimes in the future, and they'll help you out. Thanks, fellas. But from that starting place, we're going to talk about who makes the rules. And again, this morning, we're talking about what the Bible says about marriage, what the Bible says about sex, and what the Bible says about sexual sins. And hopefully, I'm just the mouthpiece here, and hopefully, you can be mature enough not to think that I'm just giving you my opinion, but that you can look into the pages of Scripture, and then the issue must be, do I choose to believe that God's Word and God sets the rules? Or do I dare to think I can make them up on my own? Praise the Lord. Hey, why don't you tell your neighbor, God makes the rules. I hope you make the right choice. Genesis chapter 2, let's start with this. What does God say in the Bible about marriage? What does God say about marriage? Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Again, Genesis, the book of beginnings, the place we go for answers. And it's in the Garden of Eden. Adam has just named all the animals. And I want you to notice verse 20, what said. For Adam, no suitable helper was found. No suitable helper. And then, verse 22, the Lord God made a woman. So when God looked at a man, when he said, the suitable helper for a man is not another man. It's a woman. To be completed, you can't be completed as a man by another man. But it's a woman and vice versa. From the woman, God took the rib he'd taken out of man. He brought her to the man, and the man said, oh, wow. That's not in the Bible, but I bet you that's what Adam said. I mean, he'd been, you know, he'd been looking at giraffes and donkeys and birds and stuff, and then he pops up and he said, I think I'll take her. Anyway, the man should be called, she should be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now look at verse 24. For this reason... This is, the, this is the first prophecy in the Bible. It's a prediction. Adam and Eve had no kids at this point. So now we're talking about something that doesn't exist, a father and a mother. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. So now we're talking about the proper home for which a child should be raised. It takes a man, come on, and it takes a woman. Now, I do not doubt at all that a homosexual person can love a child. I know, I know homosexual people. I have friends that are... That are, that are that, you know, believe same-sex marriage is the way to go. They're good people. You know, they love their kids as much as you love your children, as much as I love my child. They're, they're good providers, you know, so don't take the arrogance and the, all that kind of stuff out of it. We're not better than someone else. Come on. We're talking not just about homosexual issues today. We're talking about heterosexual issues. I mean, know with God, sin is sin. Whether it's same-sex or multi-sex or whatever it's going to be in your world, sin is sin. But, but in this... The completeness was with a man and a woman to raise a child and give them the best chance at life. So this man was to be united to who? His wife. Not another man, but his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. The oneness was completion. Adam was lacking. Eve completed him. But it's also a direct reference to sexual intercourse to their union of one flesh. Now, this scripture is quoted throughout the Old and New Testament. Some will tell you, well, that's Old Testament stuff. It's not just old, it's new. And Jesus went back to this foundational scripture of marriage. Matthew 19, verse 4, Jesus is being asked by the Pharisees about divorce, and here's what he said. Have you not read, back to Genesis, that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his... And the two shall become one flesh. And notice what he said in verse 6. What God has joined together, let not man separate. 
So God is saying, I am the one that's behind a man and a woman. And that's what I bless. Now, let me say this. You can have a same-sex ceremony. You can have it in a church. The minister can be a lesbian. The minister can be a, a practicing homosexual. But that does not mean God blesses it. Have great ceremony. You know, people that love and care about each other. But it doesn't mean that God blesses it. What God has joined together. So again, here's the question. Am I going to allow what's been recorded in God's Word dictate what I do with my life? Or am I going to make up my own rules? You're pretty quiet on me. Paul the Apostle picked this up. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament about marriage. Again, uh, Ephesians 5.31. A man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become... But listen to what he adds. Verse 32. The mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What does that mean? You know, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is pictured as a what? A bridegroom. We, the body of Christ, or his church is depicted in what? The bride. And what are we going towards one day? The marriage supper of the Lamb. So we as the bride will meet our bridegroom and spend eternity with him. Well, guess what? We're talking here. Paul said your marriage is a mystery of, of Christ and his church. Hence, that's why when I, well, when I have problems with my, my spouse, I mean, when I'm not having fun, the reason I work through it, the reason I keep going forwards when it's just not easy and fun is because people are watching me because I represent Jesus to the world. So that's what Paul added to it. Now, I mean, no, dictionary definitions can change, but God hadn't changed his mind. Now, what I've been talking to you about earlier, the Bible's definition, you look in any Bible dictionary, the definition of the word marriage, and you see it's referring to a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. Now, let's just say, for conversation's sake this morning, let's just say that people have been on this planet for 10,000 years. If you want to say 10 million or 100 million, it just makes my argument stronger. But from the time God started with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, marriage was between a man and a woman. Now, I've got a dictionary, a Webster's, Noah's, Noah Webster's Dictionary, original Webster Dictionary, 1828. So again, if the earth is 10,000 years old, let's imagine for 10,000 years of world history from beginning to uh, Noah Webster, here's what marriage was. Marriage was the legal union uniting a man and woman for life. Marriage was instituted by God to prevent sexual immorality, to provide happiness and care for children. And would you believe that a dictionary even quotes Hebrews 13, which says the marriage bed is undefiled. But then it says, in a scriptural sense, marriage is the union between Christ and His church and the covenant of grace. Now, here's something you've got to understand that you won't pick up in public school. Western civilization was built on the Bible. The laws that govern our world were built on the Bible. So when Noah wrote his dictionary, it just made sense. You know, the lawyers were originally trained in Blackstone's commentary of the law. Go back and search that, and you'll see it is filled with scriptures, and the underpinning of Western civilization were the laws of God. You realize all the great institutions of learning in America, Harvard, Yale, they were founded as schools of divinity, if you go back and read their original founding documents, many of them refer to Jesus specifically, but today they won't even let you hold a Bible club on campus in many cases unless you get an attorney to force it to happen. So we have shifted in America, but the question is, do we as Americans have the right to redefine truth or is it already written in God's Word and we simply choose if we're going to embrace it or reject it? I'm preaching better than your amening this morning. Now, 
Let's look at another Webster dictionary. If you went to Webster's Collegiate Dictionary, sounds a little more intelligent, 2008. Here's how far we've moved. First, two definitions. One is the state of being united to a person of the opposite sex as husband and wife. Good. But number two, marriage is the state of being united to a person of the same sex in a relationship like that of traditional marriage. So what's happened from here Man has decided he can rewrite the rules. And I say man, I mean it generic. No gender, you know, things implied. We decide we can write the rules simply because an editor can change it on the computer. And that's the big issue. Whether it relates to marriage or whether it relates to anything about our lives, has God set up the boundaries of life or has he not? I suggest to you he has. But the challenge for all of us is, <laughs> do I want to stay in the boundaries? Now, I was raised on a farm in Mississippi. We had cows. Uh, one of my jobs was to walk the fence because I don't care how much grass was in our pasture. I don't care if the salt was there, the water was there, the range cubes were there. They wanted to go across the fence. Isn't that exactly what Adam and Eve did? Adam and Eve said, I know God said that one tree is off limits, but it just looks so good. And I think that it'll be better than what I have, so I'll take a bite. And that's exactly what's going on in America today. Now, Genesis chapter 1 again. What does, the, what does the Bible say about sex? Now, from what I just said, and this will all be on the Internet in a day or two, if you ask what the Bible says about marriage, I just told you. It's not my opinion. I'm just someone that's kind of translating it. Now we have to decide, am I going to choose that or am I going to reject that? But same thing, what does the Bible have to say about sex? This is a good one. You'll like this. If you came to church for nothing else, you'll be glad you came to hear this point. Sex is God's idea. And everybody said? Amen. It's God's idea. It has two purposes. It is for procreation or having children and enjoyment. But God put a fence around it, and he blessed sex in the context of a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. All right, don't look so holy on me out there. Listen, sex has every elementary kid giggling at an early age, and sex keeps you giggling until the day you die. I mean, you know, it's just something. Every one of you have something sexy in your wardrobe. I don't want to know what it is, but you've got something in your wardrobe. Why is it so intriguing? Is this just some accidental thing? Or is God behind that? Let's keep walking here. Genesis 1.27. The first, the first uh, thing the Bible says about sex is it's for children. Genesis, again, 1.27. God created man in his own image. Say it with me. Male and female, he created them. And what did verse 28 say immediately? And God... Stop right there. If you want to see the sex that God blesses, it's between a man and a woman in a covenant relationship committed for life. And in that, God says, have kids and have fun. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and do what? Multiply. This is where children come from. God created the anatomy of a man with the sperm, a woman with the egg, to join together and bring forth children. Two men may care for each other deeply. Two women may care for each other deeply. But they're not designed to have children together. Come on. It takes something from the opposite sex. That's God's design. 
See, God created our anatomy to produce children. Now, the second thing, the reason we have sex is Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18. It says, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Look at verse 19, and I'll say this one, you don't have to. May her breasts satisfy you always, and may you ever be captivated by her love. Buddy, we're talking about sex right there, and we're talking about having a good time. I hope I don't turn red. The whole pleasurable aspect of it, come on. Everything about that, that did not come, come on, because some two amoebas got together and said, hey, baby, we're going to help them have a good time in about 60 billion years. No. God created you. God created the sensation a man enjoys. God created the sensation a woman enjoys. God created us to enjoy this experience called sex, but he built a boundary around it, and he called it marriage. And if you're not married, listen, you need to stay chaste and pure until God, come on, until you join yourself. Uh, Larry's daughter said, I'm getting married and moving away. I'm sure he cringed at that. You know, he'll try to get them back here. But the bottom line is, you're going to get married one day. And part of that thing is procreation, it's enjoyment. God made us that way. Sex is not dirty, but sex is not casual either. Sex is intended to be exclusive between a man and a woman. We cheapen it when we open the door to all sorts of other things. We cheapen it when we bring pornography into our world. We make it all about lust and sensation rather than the giving aspect of love that's a big, big part of it that undergirds it. You can say amen now. Okay, so that's what the Bible has to say about it. It's for kids and it's for fun. It's got a boundary around it. But notice uh, God also tells us that we're to stay away from sexual sins. Now listen to this. First Thessalonians 4, 3. God wants you to be holy and what? I got about a fourth of you. God wants you to be holy, set apart to Him, and stay away from sexual sins. Now, what I just said, sexual sins, uh, there's people in America, I can guarantee you, sex therapists, people that are educated with a Ph.D. that would say, oh, there's no such thing as a sexual sin. There's no, all you're doing, preachers, making people feel guilty. Well, I hope you do feel guilty if you're sinning sexually. Not try, I'm trying to beat you up. Hopefully your conscience is still sensitive enough to God and to truth, and hopefully the Holy Spirit still speaks to you. Guilt is not your enemy. Shame is not an enemy when you're doing something shameful. Okay, I got half. I'll, I'll stick with that. God wants you to stay away from sexual sins, which implies that there's some boundaries that God says this is good and this is not. He wants each of you, and say this with me, to learn to control your own body. What's the world say? Go for it. As long as it's consensual, go for it. No rules, no boundaries, just do it. No. Learn to control your body in a way that is holy and honorable. So here's what you've got to decide. Same decision I have to make. Do I want to live sexually in a way that's holy and honorable, or do I just want to do what I feel like doing? Do I want to eat from the trees that God said I'm able to eat from, or do I want to take a bite of the one that I'm not supposed to? It's that simple. Look at verse 8. The person who refuses to obey this teaching is disobeying God, not simply a human teaching, which is basically, this is not just my opinion. And please, if you're still thinking all this is just my opinion and you're so mad you want to throw a rock at me, please throw a rock at me. Go ahead and stand up. He's tall. So if you want to throw something, throw it at him, okay? Don't throw it at me. I'm a good guy. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just reading the Bible to you, okay? 
you knew you should have gone to the lake today, huh? <laughs> now, in the world, here's how sex works. If I'm attracted to you, let's make it happen. We can just meet tonight. We can be riding down the interstate, and I can pass you in the car, and we can look at each other, and we can smile, and we get off of the next exit. That's great. That's the world. Or we can like it enough, and we move in together. And if you live together, and you're not in the bond of covenant marriage, you're living in sin. Okay. But, but isn't it just better if I try her out? Um, well, if you ask people about domestic violence, the, 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 the stats of domestic violence are higher in live-in situations than the permanent commitment of marriage. And the longer you live together, all you're doing is you're just, you're, 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 like, you're like trying out for the rest of your life rather than the covenant commitment. Okay. NTV is doing a new reality show called My First. And they want to make you a star and show you the, your journey of losing your virginity. So, would I let my kid watch MTV? No. Well, what if they're just going to watch it anyway? I'd take a baseball bat and knock a hole in that television right in front of them. Not in my house. If they watch it on their phone, I'd take their phone away. Of course, I'm just a parent. I don't know what you are. But, but that's the world. So here's what you have to decide. Am I going to endeavor to live like the world or live like God wants me to? And let me say this. Everyone in this room struggles with this. And my, 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 what I'm talking about this morning is not the struggle. What I'm talking about is do you agree with God or do you go your own way? I'd much rather this church be filled with people that have sinned and made mistakes just like me and come to God and say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me today. I've got to run to the cross for mercy and grace because I've sinned and I've broken your commands rather than people who arrogantly say, I get to make up the rules in my life. That's big. 1 Corinthians 6, what are sexual sins anyway? I want you to give, give, me, about, will you give me about 10 more minutes, 10, 12 more minutes. All right. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, uh, don't be deceived. So if the Bible says don't be deceived, doesn't it make sense that people are easily deceived? Neither the sexually immoral. Now what we're talking about is a long list that describes people who are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. First word is sexually immoral. It's from the Greek, Greek word porneo, pornos. It means, it's where we get the word, guess what? Pornography. And the first thing he says it'll keep you out of the kingdom of God is sexual immorality. Then he adds idolatry. But then he adds adulterers. See, this is not just a marriage about same-sex and homosexuals. Adultery. I mean, no, sin is sin in the eyes of God. Adultery, which is someone that's married having sex with someone other than their spouse. Male prostitutes. In the biblical era, part of temple worship among the pagans was prostitution. Male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders. But then he adds, and now these are kind of, if I can say, these are the uh, taboo sins in the Christian world. But then he puts the ones that, you know, you and I deal with and we don't make any big deal about. Thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. So what is that saying? God has some standards, not just in my sexual world. How many know sin is sin in the eyes of God? In civil law, how many know some sins or crimes have a heftier punishment? But sin is sin in the eyes of God. You know, you'll do more jail time for a felony than a misdemeanor, but wrong is wrong. But with God, a sin is a sin. And all those sins is what led Christ to the cross. 
But then notice what verse 11 says. Verse 11 says this, that's what some of you were. Now, we're taught in America today, we're taught that if you, for example, uh, you're born gay. Okay, maybe you are. Someone talked to me earlier today and said they know someone that, you know, they love and care about and they're born gay. Okay, well, I'm, I'm born a sinner too. My, my sin, my sin is not an attraction to someone of the same sex. I've got to watch my sin in the other direction. But, but sin is a sin, and here's what the Bible says, is that you were born that way, but you, oh, I'm sorry, that you, some of you were like that, but now you're washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which simply means, if you're in the lifestyle, you can come out of it. If you're addicted to pornography, you can get freed from it. If you've been adulterous all your life, or fornicator all your life, you can quit and have a brand new outlook of life. You don't have to be like you were. And can I tell you what? It's not just willpower. It's the Holy Spirit working in your life. See, for some of us, we try so hard not to do the wrong thing. Here's what I suggest to you. If you would work harder at getting close to Christ, if you would first surrender your life as your Savior, if you would read your Bible, if you would pray, if you'd come to church, if you confess your sins to other, other people, if you'd start putting your money where your mouth is and investing some of it in the kingdom of God and giving God greater control over your life, the things that used to control you won't control you as much. Because you don't have enough willpower to resist it, and I don't either. Come on. But when the Holy Spirit takes over, how many know we can get the victory in life? Yeah. Jesus, Jesus raised the bar, and he moved it from the act of immorality, or from the thought to the act. Uh, vice versa. From the, Let me just read it. I tell you, Matthew 5, 28, if anyone looks at a woman and wants to sin sexually with her, in his mind, he's already done the sin with the woman. Please don't raise your hand, but how many have looked at someone other than your spouse today and you thought, my, 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 that's a fine woman or man? So you can lust in church. It's not recommended, but Jesus said you just committed adultery. Am I either going to let this rule me or am I going to toss it aside? See, here's a big issue. If you don't listen to anything else, let me ask you one question. Who gets to decide what is sexually immoral? Who gets to decide? Well, wait a minute before you answer. Is it the Supreme Court judges? They'll be doing a same-sex marriage pretty soon here. It's a big topic in America. Do they, do they determine? I mean, no, there's a difference between what's right and what's legal. There's a lot of laws that are, that are legal, but it's not right. Do the people's vote? Is the fact that in North Carolina they just voted that, that they would not have same-sex marriage in their state? Is that what makes it right? If you listen to our president, what did he say? I've talked to my family. Now listen to this. I've talked to friends. I've observed good people, same-sex relationships, raising kids. So I've come to the conclusion that it's okay. Let me ask you this. Do you get to decide what's right and wrong? Or is it already decided by God, we just decide, like Adam and Eve, am I going to eat the fruit or am I going to leave it alone? I, I, I'd love to take our president to lunch and talk to him. Does a, does a mental health professional get to decide? There was a day in America, not too many decades ago, when, when, when homosexuality was listed as a dysfunction. But over time, now that's been replaced, just like the new dictionary definition. I mean, it's the world that we live in today, but I'm suggesting to you that there's a difference between what's legal, many times, and what's right. It got pretty quiet. 
I'll whisper the next point. Genesis 19. Just another moment. What else does the Bible have to say about homosexuality? Now listen to this. Genesis 19, verse 4. Here's the first time a homosexual relationship is mentioned in the Bible. It's pretty important to see how God responded to it. Again, the Bible is either God's word or it's not. And let me say this. If the Bible's not true, I've still had a pretty good life. Let me just be kind of candid with you. If that cross means nothing, I've lived my life. Listen, I've been married to one woman. She loves me and I love her and I don't have to worry about her fooling around on me. Come on. I've got good kids. I sleep good at night. I mean, I enjoy my life. So if all this Christian stuff is nothing, then I've not lost a thing. But if it's true, and the person who has rejected it, they'll lose everything for eternity. So what does the Bible say in its first mention of homosexuality? Well, here's the scene. God's talking to Abraham. He has a nephew named Lot that's living in a place called Sodom. Think of the word Sodom, sodomy. Living in a place called Sodom. It's, it's corrupt. God sends some angels there to get Lot out. You know angels look like people in this particular case? You know the book of Hebrews 13 tells us to be careful to entertain strangers because you may be entertaining an angel unaware. Look next to you and see if there could be an angel sitting next to you. Now, come on. Probably not, but I mean there may be. These little sweet girls over here, there could be an angel over there. I don't know. But look at 19 verse 4. These angels came to Sodom and they went in Lot's house. And that evening, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, young and old, that's why it's so important to teach truth to the generations, they surrounded the house and they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us. You can say it out loud. So we can have sex with them. Okay? Old Testament, though, Jude chapter 7. I'm sorry, Jude verse 7. Don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah which were filled with immorality and every kind of... That does not make you a bigot or a homophobe for saying that. Now, if your attitude is condescending, if you're acting like you're better than somebody else, that's a problem. And that's what Matthew 7, when Jesus said, don't judge, let you be judged, Jesus was not talking about discerning between right and wrong. Jesus was talking about the attitude when you've got a log in your eye and you're looking at a small spot in theirs. But he's not talking about truth. Now, these cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. We were, I went to, had to go to Dallas this week, and we were, I was riding down the interstate, and there's this woman in front of us, and she had about that much air in her tire, and you could tell she's either going to have a blowout or a flat or something's going to be wrong. We tried everything we could to get around her, to wave at her, just to tell her, you got a problem with your tire, and I didn't even know her. Why did I do that? Because I cared about her enough to tell her the truth about her tire. Don't you think the same thing might apply in what I'm doing today? You may say, preacher, why are you doing this today? Because I love you enough to tell you the truth. I want you to understand what the Bible has to say. Now, what you do with it, the choice is yours. Say amen or hurry up or something. Come on, we're just about done. You know, archaeologists believe they found the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah when they look through the soil strata, this idea of fire and brimstone. Many believe that they've actually found that, that particular region of the world. You know, in prior to a 1962 sodomy, 
sodomy, anal intercourse between two men. Sodomy was, 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 was a, uh, a felony in all the states in America. But in 2003, the Supreme Court, in a Texas case, the Supreme Court declared sodomy and it was unconstitutional. So the rest of the 14 states just kind of wiped it off. What happened? They read the new version of Webster's Dictionary. Now, are you, saying, are you trying to tell people how to behave? No, I'm just trying to tell you what God's Word says so you can decide and make a choice how you live your life. So in that case, I'm for choice. That's a little joke if you could get around to that. I am pro-choice when it comes to telling people the truth and then letting them make a decision what they do with it. Romans chapter 1. You say, well, that's still Old Testament. Romans 1 verse 18. You cannot miss this. If you're in a gay lifestyle, if you know someone who is, you know there's even churches, they call them gay churches, where it, they, they believe that it's all right and it's proper to, for, you know, to have a, a gay relationship. And they have their Bibles and they sing songs. What do you do with Romans chapter 1? Let me condense this because it's lengthy. Romans chapter 1 verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness. You can wear a robe in a church and be ordained by a denomination and still be godless and wicked. Boy, I'm judging people, aren't I? No! Jesus said, you'll know them by their... Men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They exchange, verse 25, the truth of God for a lie. And verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to... Shameful lust, even their women exchange natural relations for unnatural ones. We're talking about lesbians. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relationships with women, and they were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed, what's it say? Indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty. It's just the words of the Bible. Now, what you do with it is your choice. But guess what? I could take all of next week and we could talk about adultery. I could take all of next week and we could talk about your desire to sleep with someone other than your spouse. You're real quiet on me. So what I'm trying to say this morning, a homosexual sins is just like the heterosexual sins. A sin is sin in the eyes of God. And how many know we all need a Savior? What about the argument? I'm going to wrap up now. I was born that way. Well... Here's what I'd say, too. I was born a sinner, too. And just because I'm born a sinner doesn't mean I have to justify it or defend it. I bring mine to the cross, and I ask every day for God to help me live a sexually pure life. I'm telling you. I ask every day for God to help me not to lust in my mind. The book of Job, Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully on a woman. I had a good friend of mine, and I just kind of thought you got over this when you got a little older. He said, look, I'm 80 years old, and I still have to pray that prayer. So can I say this? Join together with me and live God's way. Okay, I got six of you. I was hoping for five, so I did good. Let's wrap it up. Let me ask you this question. Are people with homosexual, not homosexual, are people with sexual sins welcome at Church on the Rock? I want you to look at me eyeball to eyeball. Are people with sexual sins, adultery, fornication, pornographer, homosexuality, you know, and it goes down from there, bestiality, incest, all those kinds. Are they welcome here? Absolutely. Because you're here. 
I'm here. You're welcome. Church is like a spiritual hospital. Across the street at St. Michael's, I don't know how many beds they've got. Let's say they've got a thousand. None of those people want to be there. They'd like to be here. They'd like to be at the lake. They'd like to be at home watching TV, working in the garden, doing something, having sex. I mean, you know, they, they don't... They, lighten up a little bit. But when the doctor said you got cancer... You don't just go to Red Lobster and eat. Come on, you go to the hospital and you say, please make me well. Go to church first because the Bible says if you're sick, call for the elders of the church. They'll anoint with oil and the prayer of faith will save the sick and if they committed sins, they'll be forgiven. Go to church first. But that doesn't mean you can't go to a doctor. When you're sick, you go get help. And when the doctor says, I think we need to do surgery, you don't say, oh, I know more than you do. He says, take these pills... I don't want to take those pills. I don't like them. They're the wrong color. No. You believe he knows what he's talking about. And you submit yourself to him. Isn't it the same thing? Do you believe God, the great physician, knows what he's talking about when it comes to our sexual life? But let me say this. Everyone is welcome here at Church on the Rock. But you cannot lead or serve if you're living in open sexual sin. What does that mean? You can't lead or serve. And you can't flaunt your sin. What's that mean? That means two guys, if they want to hold hands, are welcome to come to church, but you can't hold hands in church. Please, please don't make us ask you not to do that. If your teenage kids are sitting on the back row making out, do you not think an usher's going to do something? Come on. If, if a guy comes in and starts hitting on girls in the church to try to sleep with them, do you think somebody's not going to do something? If you come in and you start hitting on somebody else's wife, do you think somebody's not going to do something? So this is not just a homosexual. This is a sexual thing. Well, we're doing our best to try to live under God's laws, come on, and God's commandments. And I have decided in my life that to the best of my ability, I'm going to submit myself to the laws of God. I'm going to agree that the Bible is the right way to go. I'm going to agree that marriage is the place for sex, and that's great. And outside of that is outside the boundary, and that's just like Eve taking a bite of that apple. That's the choice I've made. I hope you're going to make the change, same choice, but guess what? The choice is up to you. You get to decide, just like Adam did, just like Eve did, just like the folks on MSNBC were talking to me, and just like our president. We all get to decide, but it won't be because you didn't know what the Bible has to say, because I hope I've told you today. Come on, give the Lord a good hand, I'm done. Praise the Lord. You weren't supposed to stand yet. I had this ending picked out. All right. Here's how we're going to do it, though. Let's just pretend we're sitting down. We're not. You're okay, standing. But would you just like to join me this morning in simply saying, Lord, I want to live under your laws. I want to live under your boundaries. I want to live under your commandments. In my sexual life, but in all areas of my life. In the way that I treat people, the way that I treat those I love, the way that I treat my enemies. I want to live under the laws of God. And I want to tell you, friend, if, you're, if that's your heart, if you're willing to do that, just present yourself to God. Could we just slip our hands to heaven and just say, Lord, I just give you my life today. And I just say in my life, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. 
Would you help me, Lord, do what I seem unable to do for myself? Would you give me the power of the Holy Spirit to change? Would you help me be someone that not only knows what the truth is, but has the power to live it? We humbly come before you today, and for many here, we confess our sins before you. For some, you might have never done this before, but I want you to ask God to forgive you. If you are sinning sexually in the eyes of God, you don't have to tell a soul, but I think you need to tell God. I think you need to say, Lord, I agree with you that whatever it's been that you're doing, say, Lord, it's wrong. And I want you to help me get out of that lifestyle and break its power off my life. And Lord, today we also want to pray for our president. We bless him today. I just pray he says that he's a Christian. I pray, Lord, that as he looks at the Bible, that what's, what's very clear to us today would define his thinking as well. Lord, we pray for him. We pray for his friends. I pray, Lord, for everyone in this church today and in America today that is living in rebellion against God, that our hearts would turn to you fully and completely. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Everybody say it. Amen. Amen. Hey, thrilled you came today. We're going to close with prayer, but let me encourage you. At 5 o'clock this afternoon, the attorney's going to talk about end-of-life issues, caring for elderly parents. Maybe you're looking at that stage of life. You're wondering about, you know, wills and trusts and all those kind of things. And, you know, what do you do? How do you take care of things? He'll help you. No strings attached. And uh, that's 5 o'clock here. Next week, of course, a big memorial show. We're going to have a lot of fun. But right now, if you'll just give us one minute to sing a song through one time and dismiss, I just believe that the Holy Spirit's been speaking to many people today. And you'd really like to pray with someone about something you heard today. It could be something in the message. Uh, it could be anything. You might have missed the mid-service prayer time, but it could be this. I want you to listen to this. Maybe you're here today and someone that you really love and care about is not living a sexually moral life. And you've talked to them and their ears are closed. Could we just agree in prayer today that God's going to open their heart? That they will, either through you or someone else, see the truth of God and commit to life of purity? And if you've got somebody like that in your world, we'd be delighted to pray for you as well. So our prayer team is going to come to the front. If you need to get right with God, if you don't know if you're a Christian, if, you're, if you died today, if you don't know you'd go to heaven or hell and you want to talk to someone, they'll show you how to commit your life to Christ. We'll do it now. Come, our prayer team is coming right now. We're just going to begin to sing. And if you want prayer for anything, you just feel a need to touch God before you go home. You come and let us pray for you. You have the courage to come for prayer. God will do something big in your life. Come, let us pray for you. We're just about done. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Jesus, the lover of my soul.